The desire of Titus Women is to invite women around the world to know Jesus as their Savior, Center, and Source. May God guide and encourage you through this message by Beth Coppage. We're starting today at 1 Peter 1, 22. Since then you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which live, lives and abides forever. How long does the word live? Forever. forever. Because all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man is as the flower of the grass. Now, what is flesh like? Grass. Okay, and what is the glory of man like? flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord does what? Good. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. And that's what we've got this morning. This word. Therefore lay aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all evil speaking as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious come to him as to a living stone rejected by men but chosen by God and precious and you also as living stones are being built into a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is contained in this scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word which, for which they are, were appointed. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you today for coming and speaking through to our hearts through the power of your holy word, which lives and abides forever. And I pray, Jesus, today that you would just talk to each one of us and that in no way would I get in your way. Lord Jesus, all of us want to see you. And we ask today that you might open the word to our hearts and it might melt our hearts and it might be a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Do a new thing inside of us. Let us see where we really are in the light of thy scripture and send us forth from this place on fire for Jesus. Burn out sin and burn in holiness of heart, mind, soul, body, and spirit. Set us free as women after God's own heart. Make us women of the white hot heart. 
Lord, you could do that, and only you can. But Jesus, we make ourselves available to you. So Lord, create in us a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. And Jesus, let the words of our mouths and my mouth and the meditation of our hearts and my heart, let them be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. I think this is an incredibly beautiful passage of scripture and we're just going to have to look to Jesus to open it up to us today because it's so profound. We talked last week or two weeks ago about purity of heart and what does God say? He says, he who has called you as holy, so be holy in all you do for it is written, be holy for I am holy. In the Old Testament alone, holiness comes up 386 times. In the New Testament, it comes up about 286. It is, scripture is full of holiness of heart. Why? Because the God we serve is holy. He is a holy God. And if you and I are going to have a relationship with him, we need to have our hearts white hot hearts that are full of his holiness. Now, how do we get there? And Peter is writing to the people that were in great persecution. They were going to go under greater persecution. They were far away from their homes. They were people of the dispersion where present-day Turkey is today. And so he's writing to people that many of them are homesick. And he's saying, I want to tell you how to walk with God in difficult places and under difficult circumstances. And keep your white-hot heart so you don't lose the victory. And so Peter writes. And the beautiful thing about Peter is Peter can write experientially. He doesn't write just about someone who talks about what God did in someone else's life. He can say, I'm writing this because I know it is a possibility. It has occurred in my heart. Do you remember in Mark 8? Remember when Jesus feeds the 4,000? And then he heals the blind man and he's half, and he says, I see men as trees walking. And then Jesus says to the disciples, who do men say that I am? And he said, and Peter, and some, they said, some say Elijah, Elijah, some say the prophets. He said, yes, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, ever ready, Peter goes, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter knew who he was in chapter 8 of Mark. He knew that he was the Christ, the Son of God. He believed in him. And the first part of 1 Peter talks about what it means to be born again so that we know we have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled. But what happened at the end of Mark? You get over in Mark 14 and Peter, Jesus gets ready to face the crucifixion and he says, Jesus, I'll go with you to the death. And Jesus looks at him and he says, No. You'll deny me three times before the cock crows. Not me, God. You've got... No, it, you don't... You, you're not understanding how I really am. And Jesus says, I understand how you really are. You do not understand yourself. There's a self-deception in you, Peter. And so what happens? You find exactly what happened to him is exactly what Jesus says. Before we finish the book of Mark, what happens? He has denied Jesus that he's lived with for three years, three times. Now, what makes a difference in a man like Peter? Doesn't he sound like the likes of you and I? Where we say, oh, Lord, I want to read and pray. I want to witness to my neighbor. I want to turn off that television at Bible time. But, oh, Lord, tomorrow. I'd love to follow you, but Jesus, it's just so hard. 
tomorrow. Oh, gee, and we are full of the best intentions, and we love him. We kind of do. We almost do all the way, but not all the way. And it wasn't until the second chapter of Acts, when they were waiting on God, when the crucifixion came, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, the second chapter of Acts, what happened? That Peter was touched by the Spirit and the Holy Spirit came in and filled his life. So Jesus was no longer just the Savior of his sin. He became Lord of his life. And holiness of heart is when you and I enter into a relationship where Jesus is Lord in our lives. Now, he, these, we're going to talk in the next few minutes about some of what it means to be holy. And then we want to think very carefully about what is there in my life that keeps me from being holy and all that God wants me to be. When it says, you are purified, you, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth. And how do we get our souls purified? By obeying the truth. We do not even know who we are except through the revealed word of God. That's why the word is inerrant. That's why this is God's gift to us. We know who God is. We know how to find a relationship with him. But we also come into grips with who we are as people. And God can cut through the self-deception in your life and mine. Do you know what Paul Blair told me this week? An interesting thing. He was just sharing, and he shared out of this very passage of Scripture, and I just knew it was from Jesus. I said, oh, thank you. I said, wait a minute. I took notes. One thing he said was, he said in Greek, the word there is adulos, and doulos means deception, and a before it means anti-deception, and you translate it purity. So that what happens is our souls are purified when Jesus comes in and cuts through our self-deception. Could another term for sanctification be when it means that you and I come to the place where God, we get into a place where we say, Jesus, I surrender all of myself to you, even my self-deception. And will you help me to know who I really am and where I am lying to myself and building my, my life on the refuge of lies. So he said, you are purified your souls by obeying the truth. Is there a capacity in your heart to obey the word of God? If there is not, it may mean you have never entered into an experience with God where he has become Lord of your life. Where you know him in all his fullness. Can you obey the word? Is there an empowering to obey the word of God? Let's start with the very first commandment. What does the first commandment say? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Is there anything in your life or my life that is taking the place of Jesus Christ as the passion of your soul? And it's very hard to identify it sometimes because we are people of the lie. And we live in self-deception and we say, oh yes, Jesus, I love you with all my heart. But there may be one thing, one closet, one key, one place that you and I are claiming and holding on to for our security and our safety. Could it be a husband? Could it be a job? I've just got to go to work because we have to have security. I grew up so poor, I'm never going to be poor again. You don't love Jesus first. I've just got to be married. That's, I just know that once I find that one and only, that it'll all work out. 
No, you've got to love Jesus first and trust Jesus with your future. Let Jesus be the love of your life first. Because a husband doesn't put it all together for a woman. They're a blessing, but only Jesus puts it all together. Is it food? Is it too much? Is it an addiction to food? Or is it food controls you because you don't eat it? Because you've been controlled all your life and it's like one last statement, I will control my body even if I starve. Do you need Jesus to set you free in that? Are there addictions in your life? Is, do you, is life so difficult it's just hard to get out of bed? Is it something in your life that you will not let go of and I will not let go of that we hold on to saying, this has brought me security in the past and I can't let it go. This is the only thing I've got. And what is that? It is a lie. It is a lie straight from hell, straight from the enemy. The one thing you and I have is Jesus, and Jesus can set us free, and Jesus alone can set us free. And anything else that we depend on and lay ourselves out for is a faulty foundation. And the end of this passage says, Jesus alone is the cornerstone. Jesus alone is the one. And you and I need to build our lives on the sure foundation, and it is Jesus himself in total, full, absolute surrender so that our hearts are be puri being purified on a daily basis by obedience to the truth. Because only in here do we find truth. Only in here do we find how to relate to each other. Only in here do we come to a knowledge and understanding of who we really are. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. Then another fruit of the Spirit is that we have a sincere love for one another. And it's interesting that here it talks about sincere. And do you know, you and I can do not have the capacity to love one another unless God does something in our hearts. Because the only way I know how to relate to you or even to my precious husband or my children is what can they do for me? And I may cloak it in all kinds of spiritual, religious terms. But the bottom line is, I want safety and security. And I am out for number one in my life and in every relationship until there is a touch of the eternal God on my heart. And you are too. We're made out of the same warp and woof. And God comes to us today and he says, Beth Coppage, you don't have to live like that one more time. I can do something in your life and I can set you free. And why do you live like that? I can touch your heart so that you can have a sincere love. And this is an affection in the Greek. And the next Greek word is where it's agape love. Where God can move our hearts so I love you because Jesus loves you. And he gives me the capacity to love you. And it's not because you can do something for me or you can, I can do something for you. It is that there's a capacity to, if you respond or you don't respond, there is a capacity to still love. Wouldn't that transform our marriages? Wouldn't that transform our marriages? Jesus love him through me. Whether he can meet my needs or whether he can't meet my needs. Whether he ever understands me or he doesn't understand me. Jesus, you send your rain on the evil and the good because you can't do anything else. You are so kind. Lord, you let me love people whether they respond the way they, I want them to or the way I don't want them to. Just let there be such a, a love in my heart that the only way to respond is love. That's what the Bible talks about as Calvary love, agape love. It is the love that God puts in your heart and my heart that won't let go. 
And it is not contingent on circumstances or response of others. It is something God does. I read recently or reread parts of Brengel, who was a Salvation Army man. The first pew and uh, the first seat at Hughes Auditorium is dedicated to Samuel Brengel. A saintly, saintly, saintly man of God. And, uh, and um, he said when he was, he was filled with the Spirit, uh, he, he said after God met him and just filled him, he said, I walked into Boston Commons and I loved everyone. He said, I loved everybody in the whole town square. There was a little worm that crawled by. I loved the worm. He said, I loved the... He said, there was an explosion of God's love in my soul. He said, I knew I was different because something had happened in my heart and there was an explosion of his love. Do you know you'll be able to tell a difference in your life if God begins to give you and I that kind of love one for another? And you and I will begin to tell a difference in your life and my life and we'll know we're filled with the Holy Spirit when there's a hunger for his word and a hunger to be with him. And we'll say, I just can't watch that anymore because there's, it's not where I am. There's a longing to know Jesus Christ, not just because he can do something for me, but because there's a hunger in my heart for the first time to know God for God himself. And that's a big difference. And out of that comes a hunger to know another person, not for what they can do for me, but because of who they are. Jesus wants to set us free. And he says, let me tell you the value of the word in your life. The word is eternal. The word is incorruptible. The word does not fade away. It endures forever. And it is life-changing. And in comparison, let me tell you what you and I are like. We're like grass. The grass that's out in the field. And the glory of man is like the flower on the grass. And what happens? It withers and is gone. I can remember as a little girl, and my grandfather was a businessman in Schenectady, New York. And every place I went in that little, in that town, I felt everyone in the world knew my grandfather. He seemed like the paragon of strength and virtue, and he was just like, a, a, and it was such a surprise to me. As I grew older, and my grandfather went to heaven to go back to Schenectady, and realized only family and a few intimate friends even remembered my grandfather. Because he's not, he, his spirit is eternal. But we are here today and gone tomorrow. And he said, but God's word and what he passed on to my life through his love for the Lord Jesus and his love of the word, the word is still active in my life. It is eternal. It is the same for me as it was for my grandfather. God's word is eternal. And that is what he says. That's why it's so important that you and we emphasize so much and we try to emphasize it even more to prepare us to go out into ministry. That as we come together here in Wilmore and we prepare to go out for wherever God's got us and those of us who stay here, the importance of getting our hearts right with Jesus Christ and the importance of setting up a quiet time. So that you have a place where you get to know God. And there's a daily time in your day where you spend time with Jesus Christ. 
It helps sometimes just to have one set spot, to have one chair, one place. Have your books right there. Have your Bible there. Have your notebook. And if you don't use your Bible study sheets, that's to spur you on to prayer. If you haven't read through the Word, you get their prayer, their guides where you can read so many verse, uh, chapters every day and go through the Word in a year. So that you, and start try to read three chapters every day. The first one it may be a little hard to get into. The second one, by the time you get to the third one, you can't quit. There's other ways to do scripture reading where you do five psalms a day, like you do five and then 35 and 65 and do multiples of 30 through the psalms and do a proverb a day. Do some in the morning. Then the last thing before you go to bed, like read the proverb for the day so that what is in your mind at night is God's word flowing over your heart, flowing over your spirit, flowing over your being. That's why we've got scripture memory, so that you can get it in your mind, so that in the middle of the night when you wake up, your anxiety isn't there. You begin to just quote scripture, quote scripture, quote scripture. And some, some struggle with real nightlife or nightmares or things that surface. The best way to face it is with God's word. And when you and, and what we need to do as mothers, we need to get it in the word into our lives of our children. And they're not too young, even at babyhood. Before you put them in their crib at night, just put, the, put them in that crib and say scripture over them as you pray with them every single night. And I've said this before, but we, when cricket was two, and we came home from the mission field and were staying with my mom, and she would, tuck, would help me tuck them in at night. Every night she said Psalm 23 to Cricket. And she wasn't even two years old yet. Well, we got, went to England right after that. And Cricket was putting her baby to bed. And she put the baby to bed, barely able to talk. And she rubbed that baby doll's back and said Psalm 23, every bit of it straight through. And I was dumbfounded. And I said, honey, say it again. But she wouldn't say it again. She wasn't putting the baby to bed anymore. And that was just... So they have an incredible capacity for learning the word. Incredible capacity. And you and I need to take advantage of that. Have your devotions with them. Give them your scripture verses and let them learn it with you. Begin to ask God to help make us creative in our family altars. So there is time in prayer for you individually and the time with your children. Because you don't know what those children are going to have to face and what God's word has put into them may be the only thing that holds them in the last hour. They said that Sir Isaac Newton, who became, that his mother only lived till he was seven years old but taught him swatches of scripture and that went then when he was went far away from God far far away from God and ended up as a slave trader on a ship and it was the ship was about to go out down and he was he tied himself to the mast so he wouldn't just fall off the ship and all that scripture came back and God heard that mother's prayers and honored the investment of God's word. But I'll tell you, it takes work and the devil will fight you. Nothing he fights harder than to see you trying to seek God. Nothing he fights harder. Don't stop. 
Don't despair. That's why we've got accountability in your groups. It's not for condemnation. It's not to give you a guilt trip. It is just to urge you because this is serious business. This is the business of your spiritual life. And if you're going to go on to go with God and get to know Him and have strength and go from strength to strength, we cannot do it if we do not have God's Word in our heart. You can't have one hour session Sunday morning and expect not to just almost fold up and die. You and I have to, and if we're going to be in the battle for God, we have to be in His Word. So He said, it is living and eternal. I remember one time, I was about the only neighborhood mama in our neighborhood at that time. And all my kids were little running around. And so we seemed to have boo-coodles of children. And there were some children that were up the street and it was a live-in situation. And so the children just ran our neighborhood up and down the streets. They were, and so they began to come to our house a lot. And I remember thinking, oh, Jesus, what can I give these children while they're just here such a short time? Let's ask God to make us soul winners, even of the children in our neighborhoods. And so the little girl, Jessica, every time she came in and she wore us all out, she was wild and woolly. And her little brother was wilder and woollier, you know, and it's exhausting. And they came up at every meal and they wanted popsicles. But every time she came through the door, I tried to say, Jessica, what's our verse? Let's say it together. For God so loved Jessica that he gave his only begotten son, Jesus. That if Jessica believes in Jesus, she will not die, but will live forever. How long will you live forever? And we said it, and we said it, and we said it till we got it down. And then I said, let's go to another verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. <laughs> and, and, and then Ephesians 4.32, be ye kind, one, two, and I mean, and she, I only had her. She was the living situation, only lasted a short time, and Jessica's gone. But there are three verses in Jessica's heart, and many, many prayers. Oh, God, open our hearts to see, and the devil will cheat us. Next time you sit down to watch that TV, turn it off and say, Lord, if I die, I'm going to go in there and sit and just ask God to teach us how to get a hold of the things that really matter in our lives so we can set a world on fire, even if it's a little world in our neighborhood. All it takes is one mother alive for God. And you can influence not only your neighbors, but the children down the street that nobody cares for. God is asking to make us women on fire. Women that aren't just dissipated. Women that are connected to the eternal God. And this is how we are connected. Through his word. Through his word. Then it says, in two, it says, lay aside all malice. All deceit. All hypocrisy. All envy. And all evil speaking. These are not sins of outright flesh, like adultery, fornication. What are these? These are sins that break community. These are sins of self-deception once again. And what it says, lay aside all malice. What is malice? Malice is where I relate to you, but I have ulterior motives and they're not good. Lay aside all deceit. 
where I pretend to be something hypocrisy is where I pretend to be something other than I am and that is especially true of us as people of the church we love to pretend that we're more spiritual than we actually are and remember in Acts 5 remember Ananias and Sapphira pretended to make a bigger sacrifice and offering than they actually were willing to do and what did the Lord do? He just took their lives I think he gets sick of us pretending to be more spiritual than we are. He longs for us to be able to be real with him and real with one another. That's why it's good to be in those accountability groups to be vulnerable to one another and say, I don't have my act together. And you know what you'll find? There isn't a woman in that group that has their act together because the only one that does is Jesus. And we are pilgrims pressing on into the heart of God. And so he says, get rid of your, in your life and in my life, if we're going to walk with God, we need to ask God to get rid of these things in our hearts. And the only way we can get rid of them is by the power of his Holy Spirit in my life. So that I get rid of my ill intent for you and my ulterior motives. I get rid of the deceit in my heart, especially in relationships to our husbands, where we try to get things that we want. In, in manipulative underhanded ways instead of being gut level honest and going to God first and saying Jesus you meet my needs and, and Lord this is on my heart would you provide this for me and let God begin to meet you on ways like that instead of us trying to get our own needs met in those relationships that do nothing but alienate and separate hypocrisy pretending to be more than we are envy where we don't we we're envious of people and others well I wish I had it as good as she did it, well I would be able to do that too if I had her position or if I had what she's got or Lord you couldn't use me because I'm not as gifted or talented as so and so and I would do that but you know and it's a little green monster that can eat our hearts out well, if my children were like her children, or my husband was thoughtful like her husband, and we can just spend our days in envy, and the only cure for envy is the Holy Spirit. The only cure for envy. And evil speaking. I talk badly about you because then it, I feel like maybe it makes me feel better about myself, so I run down another person. God will have none of it. And he says, those things have to go in your life and my life. So there's no malice, there's no deceit, there's no hypocrisy, that there's no evil speaking, and that God comes in and cleanses our hearts so that who we are is who we are, and not who we are in Bible study, one thing, and who I am at home at 5 o'clock at night, another. So that God cleanses me. Now, the only way we know who we are is through the light of his word. That's the only way. And he says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if you have indeed tasted that the Lord is gracious. He said, you and I are to desire God's word like newborn babies. And how often do they eat? <laughs> Every two to three hours, day and night. Now, when does a newborn baby not eat? when a baby's sick. Do you know what a sign of a spirit-filled life is? If we have a hunger for his word like a newborn baby. And if we don't have a hunger for God's word, you know what? 
it is a sign that there is some form of sickness soul sickness in our heart and could it be it would be malice or envy or deceit or hypocrisy what does it say in verse the next verse it says come to him no matter how we are no matter what condition we're in come to Jesus and what does it describe, describe Jesus as the living stone not a dead stone but a living stone and then it talks about Jesus as the cornerstone the cornerstone the stone that is the principal stone in a building the one on which all the other stones fit together the basis the foundation stone the cornerstone Jesus is the cornerstone and if you and I are going to live for him and be holy people we need to come and we need to make Jesus the cornerstone of our life the central one in our life our central passion our central focus our central love and it doesn't and then out of that relationship he will make us into living stones so that he is our foundation and it's a sure foundation it doesn't hurt us it is it isn't something that will fail us in the end like every other foundation if we're dependent on food it will fail us if we're dependent on on television it's a vacuum it's not there if we're dependent on a husband to meet every need he will certainly fail us there's no way a person can if it's on a friendship they'll move or something will happen nobody else can be a sure foundation in your life money you can't take it with you it can be there today and tomorrow can be gone there's no sure foundation scripture says come to the only sure foundation there is in all the universe and his name is Jesus Jesus the sure foundation the cornerstone and build your life and relationships on him and that's what holiness of heart is and then let God do in your life and make you a living stone so that God releases in you all the women that you were made to be the uniqueness of your personhood the uniqueness of who you are and find in him who, he, who you are and what he made you to be and I think we begin to find a joy and a release and a freedom a freedom to be a mother a freedom to have freedom to raise three children for Jesus Christ. A freedom to be content in the lot that he's given us. A freedom to say, this is what God has given me to do. Oh God, I lay myself before you. Pull, pour in all the creativity of yourself into my life. Release me to be the woman you long for me to be. And then work on a love relationship with Jesus so there's a connectedness in your life and his life. So out of that overflow, God can touch your world. God is asking us today he doesn't want to depersonalize you he wants to set you free so that everything he made you to be he can release so you and I are not bound and you, are not, you and I are not in bondage but you and I are set free to be women after God's own heart and then we can begin to see what God wants to do I remember a few years ago I didn't even know this passage of scripture then and I surely didn't know the passage in Isaiah 28. 
but I, I, I went God was talking to my heart and I knew that he wanted to do something more in my life and I um, and I, uh, but I didn't know what it was I couldn't see are you like that and I just was meeting with a small group of women and we weren't going anywhere and one day God said they'd be go, go somewhere if you would go somewhere and I pulled up in my spirituosity and I just said well you just got the wrong woman Lord look how I am so faithful and I'm doing and I'm he said I don't care so I just it was a very difficult time well I went one night I went to out on a retreat and I went to Shaker and I said, Al, I'm just going on this retreat and see if God can meet me. Because I know I need him to say some things to me, but I can't hear what he's trying to say. So I got, at the, got to Shaker and I thought, well, I, first of all, I gave him all my list of things that I wasn't happy about. Are you ever discontent in your life? I wasn't happy with, oh, there was a whole litany and I wasn't happy. And I gave him all my reasons that I felt I was unjustly accused and wasn't being appreciated and nothing was up to my expectations and this whole. And I especially said, and Lord, I really think the problem is you need to change out. <laughs> and I'll never forget it. As I lay there on that, I just stretched out on the on the. Uh, bed and I, I stretched out and the Lord said no the problem is not anyone else Elizabeth Coppage it is you I said well Lord I'm working so hard for you he said I know and you're wearing me out <laughs> he said well Lord I'm trying oh I'm trying and I'm having I'm reading and I'm praying and I'm doing all my disciplines I'm just he said I know and you're wearing me out he said you've missed it all it's not a whole set of lit rules and disciplines. You know what it is? It's a love relationship with me, and it is an honest one where you let me talk to you and you get quiet enough to stop telling me all your litany of woes and begin to listen to me about the self-deception in your life. I said, well, Lord, there's none there. He said, oh, no. And do you know, I still to this day do not know how I found this passage of scripture, except for a miracle of God. But he led me to Isaiah 28, from which the first Peter passage of scripture is quoted. And it says in verse 14, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord, Beth Coppage. Because you have said, we have, and this is a chapter written, very dark time in Samaria's history. So dark that they, all the political figures are, are depending on Egypt and Assyria for their help. And all the, and the clergy is so out of relationship with God, they're absolutely drunk. Drunk to the point of vomiting. So you have a very, very dark point in, human, in Israel's history. And God comes through to Israel and says, Because you have said, We have made a covenant with death, and with Sheol we are in agreement. Because they actually made a covenant with the evil one to take care of them and protect them from the evil one. When the overflowing scourge passes through, it won't touch us. We've covered all our bases. The scourge is coming, but it won't bother us. 
For we have made lies our refuge, and under falsehood we have hidden ourselves. And Jesus said to me, there are some things in your life that you are depending on that are absolute lies. They are misconceptions. There are things that you are believing that are not true about me, they're not true about yourself, and they're not true about others. And you are making them a refuge for your life. That is the cornerstone on which you're depending. And it is not on me at all. And then he said, Behold, therefore the Lord says in this dark situation, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. I will make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plummet. And hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Jesus said, I'm coming in to the people of Israel and I'm going to show them a sure foundation, a precious cornerstone. And I'm going to take the hose of the Holy Spirit and sweep away all the refuge of lies so that you are building your life on justice and righteousness and truth and not on lies and deceptions and evil. And only Jesus Christ can offer that and he's offering it to you as he offered it to me that day in Shakertown. He said, will you let me take hold of your life in a new dimension and will you let me be the cornerstone of your life and will you stop being controlled by your people pleasing? Will you stop being controlled by your fears? Will you stop being controlled by this and that? And will you let me control your life so you are actually spirit controlled and so that you can begin to wor- let God set you me set you free now whenever you do business with God it's an awesome hour and it is not done easily and I am talking here realistically what Peter says get rid of and where it says over here in 13 gird up the loins of your mind because real transformation happens in your will and in my will And sometimes I think you and I go from place to place to get our needs met. And we want this spiritual high and that spiritual high and this sign and this this manifestation. And we do not want to ever face the reality of the lostness of our own human situation. And that we need to surrender our will to the full will of God. And there needs to come a point in your life and in my life where we encounter God and there's no sign, no manifestation. There is simply a surrender of your will and my will to the full will of God. And we say, Jesus, though I perish, yet will I trust you. Jesus, I choose you as my cornerstone. Jesus, you are the rock of my life and I am choosing you today. I will to put my life on you and in you and live my life through you by the power of the Holy Spirit according to the written word of God. And you and I will begin to see transformations in our lives and we will begin to see victory. Because the bottom line is, will you and I surrender that thing that we cling to? Will we let it go? Or will we hold on to it until death? Will we let God take it? What is it today for you that keeps you from victory? Maybe you don't know yourself well enough. Maybe you need a time apart with God like I did. I had all the answers and God said, you don't have one of them. You need to let it all go. And you need to let those lies go. 
all your spiritual work, all your fervor, and you need to get I got level honest with me because there's sin in your heart and there's bitterness in your heart and there's unforgiveness in your heart and there's false spirituosity in your heart and all that needs to go under the blood so that you can be a real fresh and bred Christian and a, one that can count for God. But you and I have to be willing to die. And we don't want to do that. And that's what Jesus said in Mark 8. He said it to Peter, remember? Peter said, Jesus, I know you're the Son of God. And immediately Jesus said, I've got to go up to Jerusalem and suffer many things and die. And Peter said, no, that's not what I thought you would say. That's not what I anticipated for what you, the kind of Savior you would be. You're not living up to my expectations. You're to ride in here on a silver charger and get rid of the Romans. So I don't have to live under these difficult circumstances anymore. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You do not have the mind of Christ. And at the central part of the gospel is a cross. It cost Jesus Christ his life to redeem you and me. And at the central part of the gospel for you and I is a cross. And it will cost you your life, your self-will. You say, Jesus, I lay it down. My agenda, my plans, my desires, my dreams, my hopes, I give them to you. And I I choose you today. I choose you as my cornerstone for my life. And do you know what that is? That is true Christian living. That is holiness of heart. But it is radical. And there are very few of us that want to pay the price. Because what we do is enter into a love relationship with Jesus where he begins to take care of me and I stop taking care of myself. And then I begin to let Jesus love through me so I'm more interested in your agenda than my own. Only God could begin to do that. Only God. Only God. There was a French philo- a Frenchman. His name was Emile Caillet. And he grew up in France. And uh, this century, he, uh, and he came from the French secularism and naturalism and humanism. So he was 23 years old and he had never seen a Bible. And, and he was a thoughtful Frenchman. And, he, and also he was a very brilliant Frenchman. Well, all his answers from secular humanism were satisfied until he got into the World War, the Second World War. And he found himself in the, in the war in a trench with his buddy blown out of the trench and he ended up wounded in an army hospital. And he said, who am I? <laughs> what is life all about? And where are any of us going? Is this totally an exercise in the absurd? And he thought, I need something that can help me to understand myself and understand life. And so he was, a, he was a scholar, and he began to write. He said, I am going to write a book about the human predicament, and then one that will give the answers. So he began to write a book. And um, he, putting down all the wisdom he gleaned, 
and he worked on it for a number of years. He married the nurse in this hospital, one of the nurses, a Scotch-Irish gal, and they were very devoted to each other and lived in Paris. But Emil, when they set up their home, he said, I don't want anything religious at all. He said, I don't believe in God. There is no God. And I just, we're, we're just here. And he said, I don't, you can't go to church. You can't have anything to do with religion. We're, we're, that's just how we're starting our family. And she had had a Protestant background in, in Scotland. And, um, but she gave it all up because of him. Well, the day came when he finished writing his book. The, the book that had all the wisdom that he had gleaned. And he was going to read it to get himself out of his predicament. And the absolute chaos in his heart. So he sat down to read. And he read through all the wisdom that he had gleaned. And he finished it. And he threw it down and he said, It is not here. There's nothing in myself that can meet the needs of my heart. He said, I'm absolutely lost and desolate. There must be no answers. The very day that that was occurring in his heart, his little wife had taken the baby and was strolling the baby down the streets. And she came to cobblestone streets and they were very, very... Um, bumpy. So she had bumped along for a while and then was just so jarred she looked for a place to get off the street to just regroup. So there was a little opening in a courtyard and she went into the courtyard and sat on the grass. And she looked up and she saw a stairway. It was an ancient kind of courtyard and she saw a stairway that went up to old room and there was like a, a ledge or a walkway above it. And she found herself just on impulse picking up the baby and walking up those stairs and walking all the way down the end of that walkway, the ledge. And at the end was a room and the door was open. And she looked in and there was this man, white hair, white beard. And he was working at a desk. And in a flash she knew, she said, he's a Huguenot. He's a French Protestant. And I bet he's the pastor. And she rushed in and she said, Oh, sir, oh, sir, would you have a French Bible? And he said, Yes. And he gave her in a matter of minutes a French Bible. Well, she was thrilled and terrified at the same time, thinking of her husband. She <coughs> took it down, tucked it in the baby's blankets, and went home. She kept it a couple of days, and then her guilt got the better of her. And so she said one evening, she said, I want to tell you what I've done. And she told him the story, and, she, and Emil said, Do you have a Bible? I've never seen a Bible. He said, Where is it? Where is it? So she pulled it out and handed it to him, and he just grabbed it. And he went in his study, and he began to read. And he read through Matthew, he read through Mark, he read through Luke, he read through John. And as the word began to go over and over and over in his soul, he, there came an inner witness and the presence of Jesus met him. And he said, this is the one I'm looking for. And this is the book 
that can give me hope and tell me who I am, tell me who he is, tell me why I'm here, tell me the reason for life, tell me how to live my life. And he said it was even in that very night God met him. And he came out a transformed man. He said it wasn't, and he began to read omnivorously the word. Well, his wife began to notice such transformation in his life. She got courage enough to go to this church. And she began to go to the church. And the old preacher had had great difficulties. And um, his son had died in the war. And his little wife had died of a broken heart. As they, So he had two, two of them buried at the same time. And he gave, he preached the sermon. And, and the wife said, Emil, you need to come and meet this man. He's real. And there's strength in him from God that you need to meet. So Emil came to hear the man and he preached on Isaiah 42. And he said it was the first sermon he had ever heard in his life. And he can remember it till he goes to heaven. Because of the power of the word in his life. And then he said, I began to dog that preacher so he barely had time to eat. I asked him every question in the word. Just every question I had, question after question after question. Day and night, we'd be walking along the street and I would be so obnoxious he could barely stand on the corner. I would be right there asking him questions. So great was the intensity of my hunger to know. And he said, that's discipleship. <laughs> and he said, God began to do deeper things in my life. He said, it wasn't too long, though. We went away on holiday, and my little boy got very sick. And we were up in the French Alps, and he said, we had to get into a doctor. And there, was n there were no roads. It was snowy. He said, so I had to take him over my shoulders to go to the next t village to get a doctor. And I took him to the doctor, and that little boy went into the doctor. And the doctor said, he has to have minor surgery. I'll have to keep him all night. So I found myself leaving my boy with the doctor, and then in the streets of this little town. And as I wandered, not knowing where to go, a Frenchman came out about my age. And he said, who are you? And he told him his predicament. He said, oh, come into my home. It was another Huguenot, a French Protestant. Took him into his home. And he said that all the children stood and greeted me, just like they'd been expecting me. Were very gracious, led me up to the best room in the house. I slept, and they said, we'll serve dinner in just a few moments. He said, I came down the stairs after they knocked on the door, and they had dinner. And he said, I'll never forget the meal that we had. The head of the table was the grandfather. Then the son and the wife and all the children. And next to the grandfather, the patriarch, was my place. And he took the word and opened it up and read the word. Then they said grace over the meal. And then they sang a Huguenot hymn. And he said the power of God and the power of community one with another was so real I will never get over it he said I slept all night I woke up the next morning and it was did it again came downstairs the patriarch opened the word read it 
then he prayed very sincerely for my boy and for myself and then he said I then they sang a hymn said grace and we had our meal he said when I left there I knew that I had been in the presence once again of Jesus and Jesus people and the doctor he said that took care of my boy charged me only minimally he too was a French Huguenot and he said you're a stranger in need I couldn't charge you very much it wouldn't please Jesus do you know what could happen in your life in my life if you and I would make Jesus the cornerstone of our life and we would get to know him in that kind of intimacy, we would begin to have not only a beachhead for God in our hearts and in our lives, but it would overflow into your home and into my home so that people, even people seeking people, would come and would taste his presence in your life, in my life, in your home and in my home so that when they go out from that place their lives will never be the same because they too have met Jesus do you know we don't have more of an impact on the world in which we live because we will not let go of our self-deception we won't lay down that unforgiveness the malice the food the TV the art, of the, the, the magazines, the books, the needs that we're getting met in our own life, in our own way, instead of letting Jesus meet him. And Jesus is saying today, come, come to me, the living stone and the cornerstone, and let me transform your life and make you into living stones that can touch a world for God and can make a difference in all of eternity. God is calling us into big business. It's a family business. It's a business with Him. A business to touch a broken world with Jesus. But the only way He can do it is if we are white, hot hearts on fire for God, full of holiness, and that there's a death to sin in our lives. Are we willing for that? And this morning, we're going to even make the front chairs here an altar. If Jesus has spoken to you about anything, you don't have to leave the same. You just come forward and kneel at one of these front chairs, and if the girls can move in the back. And then if you need more privacy, you go in that prayer room, and someone will pray with you. Let God get rid of that last stronghold today to set you free that Jesus is the cornerstone of your life. And well, let's pray. Oh Jesus, oh Jesus, we just praise you and worship you. Every good thing in our lives is because of you. Our babies, our husbands, our homes, friendship, love, laughter, singing, flowers, trees. Jesus, all of nature is a peon of praise to your greatness. 
And Lord, you long for relationship with us. I pray today that, Lord, you would come and that you would touch your people and set us free. That, Jesus, we might be women after your own heart. Women with white-hot hearts. Lord, burn out sin and burn in holiness. That, Lord, our lives might be a reflection of who you are to a broken world. And that, Lord, the Emil Cayes could find Jesus. Oh, do it today, we pray. We just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.